G'day everybody and welcome to Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast, it's episode 8 and today we are joined by Verley from Western Australia who is the mother of Dexter who is 8 years old. How are you Verley? I'm good thanks Greg, how are you? Very good, very good. Now you're going to share Dexter's story with us and initially you were going to write it for the book but then you weren't sure where it would fit because Dexter's got a few complex issues but yeah we're going to talk about that today and IA is one of them so I know yeah. you've you've written some stuff down so why don't you just take it from the top and we'll have a chat after you've read your short story. Sure thanks very much Greg. So I fell pregnant with Dexter and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl we just knew that we were very excited and we're both me and my husband originally from England so we were here on our own um, and first baby. So everything was quite new and we didn't really understand what was happening in Australia and how the whole process went. So we just went along with everything. And we had a scan around 20 weeks and they said, your baby has a very small hole in the heart, but once they're born, it will be insignificant and they'll be absolutely fine. There's no other problems. Don't stress. So Dexter was born at 35 weeks by an emergency caesarean. When he was born, he was rushed over to a different table and then the doctor delivered the blow that he didn't have an anal opening and also that he had been resuscitated and he wasn't breathing on his own and he was taken away. The next time I saw him, he was in a forcible cot and I wasn't allowed to hold him. I was asked if I would consent for him to have a dummy and he was gone and he was taken to the children's hospital. At just eight hours old, he had his colostomy um, placed. Um, Mark had gone with Dexter and I was in the other hospital on my own. 24 hours later, I was phoned and I was told that Dexter had crashed and they'd called a code blue and I needed to get to the hospital immediately. Mark came and picked me up from the hospital and we drove the short distance to the children's hospital where we were told he had persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. Effectively, there wasn't any blood circulating through the whole of his body and his brain wasn't getting any oxygen and a lot of his organs weren't getting any oxygen. It nearly killed Dexter and we sat and watched him for nine long days and unable to hold him, not knowing if he would survive. He was the biggest baby in the NICU. He was 3.65 kilograms at 35 weeks, um, but he was the sickest baby in the NICU. And it wasn't until day nine that I actually got to hold him and I actually got to hear him cry for the first time and he also opened up his eyes for the first time. And it was an incredibly surreal experience. Because we have no family support, and for much of the time that Dexter was a baby, he had a colostomy. I was also alone because my husband was working as a firefighter worker. When he had his piece up surgery, I had to probe him on my own the entire time. Is that doing um, the dilations? Yes, yeah, so that's doing the dilations. And as any parent will know, it you you really have to grapple with yourself around doing that. And because Mark was away so much, I just said to him, I I think it's just best that I do it. Yeah, that was incredibly hard. Um especially when you are doing it for the first time and I had to do it on my own for the first time mm -hmm. and it was always on my own quite a lot but you know you get through those those very difficult times. Dexter is now eight years old 
He has had 12 surgeries, including multiple surgeries to correct his genitals, which were also severely deformed at birth. So Dexter's penis was fused to his scrotum um, and he also had a, an awfully large amount of skin. And so they essentially had to cut up between the scrotum and the penis and then secure the skin around the penis to give him you know, what looks like a penis that, that actually functions. And fortunately for now, we know that it does all function. Um, that was a very difficult surgery for him and for us, obviously. Um, How old was he when he had that surgery, Billy? He was two when he had that surgery. Yeah, so they did all um, the they did all the bowel and anal surgeries first. So yeah, he had um so he had a two he also had an understanding testy. So he had a two-stage orchiopexy. So the 18 months they did the first stage of pulling getting the testicle down. Then at two years they went in, repaired an umbilical hernia, did the um genital surgery and the second stage of the orchiopexy. That orchiopexy surgery failed and he recently went back and had it done again and then when he was four I demanded that something be done to try and stop the multiple bowel accidents so Dexter was much like some other children and parents that I've spoken to of their children where he would have 15 to 20 nappy changes a day um, we were actually once admitted to the children's hospital to the burns unit due to nappy rash and any IA parent will know that that nappy rash is no normal nappy rash. I mean, it takes off layers of skin. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much nappy free time, how many salt baths, how much corn flour, how much Ilex, how much Vaseline, how many barriers you apply. If that nappy rash kicks off and it gets to a certain level, it just, just goes like wildfire and there's nothing you can do. And again, I was on my own and I was admitted and uh, with Dexter and it was at this point I realised that no one understood what my son and I were going through. I remember sitting there and they were doing a handover between one shift and another shift of nurses. And they came through and she said, this, this little boy has been admitted for severe nappy rash. And that was all she said and walked off. And I sat there thinking, hold on a minute. Yeah, all right. He's been admitted for severe nappy rash, but there's a whole other reason as to why. This isn't just a child that's been left in his nappy. I'm not, I haven't neglected my child. But none of the none of his medical history was transferred over to these new nurses. What, um, so they weren't aware and, of the IA and oh dear. no, I mean unless it was in the notes, but the nurse didn't sort of give that information over to the nurses, and they was all standing at the end of the bed. No one asked me any questions or anything. And then once they did the shift changeover, this nurse came and said to me, "I'm going to show you how you change your napping, how you change your napping and clean your son." I was absolutely devastated. I'm actually a really forthright person. I'm very strong. But at that point in time, I'd, I'd suffered with PTSD ever since Dexter had born. And I, I was really not very well mentally. And I was struggling, but not to the point where I neglect my son and leave him in a dirty nappy. And I was very well aware how to change and deal with nappies. Having dealt with colostomy bags for such a long time, I was quite capable of dealing with a nappy. And I just, I just went with it. I just let her talk to me like I was an idiot because I just thought if I make a fuss, I could make things worse. So do you know what? I'll let you treat me like I'm an idiot and I'll um, suck it up just so I can get out of it, really. 
I don't think I've ever felt that small. It was it was horrible feeling, a really horrible feeling. His general surgeon at that time, she wasn't amazing. Um, and I had quite a few battles with her. Um, and she was actually away that weekend. And by the end, but um, we've been, I think we've been admitted on the Thursday or the Friday. By the Sunday, I was basically saying, you contact the doctor and I want an x-ray because I was convinced that Dexter was all backed up and was having overflow and they were saying no no no, you know his tummy feels soft and I'm like I'm telling you this acid that's coming out of him is what's causing this nappy rash it's what's causing causing this burn and they fought with me and fought with me it took over 24 hours for her to come back and agree to the x-ray and then they did the x-ray and what do you know he had a massive form of solid poo and he had just had all this overflow that was just coming out and just burning your skin yeah and and that would be mixed up with the mucus as well the the mucus is a killer yeah so um yeah and then you know you think right i've just sat in this hospital for three or four days going through the same thing fighting the same battles being spoken to and looked upon like i've been neglecting my child and then you fight and you think if I lose this battle, then you know what are they going to think of me? What are they going to put on on my file every time I come in? Are they going to say that I'm a neglectful mum? What's going to happen? You know, and you think you know this is such a risk that I'm taking by fighting this just to get him an X-ray, but then to turn around and realise that you're actually right. Was- the motherly instincts took over, didn't they? Yeah, and at that time, I didn't even know that there was a Facebook group. So I was doing this completely off my own back. I didn't have the education that I have now. Thank you. Thanks to all of the Facebook groups that, you know, I've joined over the years and spoken to other parents and, you know, found other information. So it was purely just instinct of there's something wrong and I know that there's something wrong. Sounds like you you felt like you were defeated. Yeah, I've... I think over Dexter's journey, I felt defeated quite a lot. But now I look back and I think, well, I've always, even when I have felt defeated, I've always got up and fought back. Um, and I've always done the best for Dexter. And I know, I know that, you know, people say, oh, you know, now that he's got this permanent stoma because he's got that ace. Oh, yeah. do you think he'll ever be able to, you know, be normal? And I'm like, what do you mean normal? He lives a normal life as far as I'm concerned he can walk he can talk he can feed himself and now he can stay clean all the time but what part of normal is that not just because he he has to have um you know a a tube pushed into his tummy to help him empty his bowels he's living a normal life if he had a bag all the time he would still be living a normal life you know he's a lucky boy I don't feel like a lucky parent, but for him, I say to him all the time, you know, you're such a lucky kid. You're in a great country. You know, we have access to all of these things. You've got parents that will fight for you. And, you know, you go to a good school and you've got good friends and, you know, you have access to really good healthcare. But you just have to remember that just because you're a little bit different doesn't mean that, you know, yep. the world is going to fall apart because you're no. doing great. That's um, right. And I always say yeah. to people that we lead a, a normal life, but when it comes to our toilet habits, it's our normal. Yeah, that's true. And, you and know, one in 5,000 kids have the same normal as Dexter has. Yeah. And do you know what? Um, since, I mean, Dexter was diagnosed with autism uh, 18 months ago. Um, and, 
you know, having autism is not, um, it's not something to be taken lightly. Yes, we probably knew when he was about two and a half, three, but we were going through so much else that it paled in comparison. The behaviours paled in comparison to everything else we were going through. And we mostly thought that his behaviours were linked to, you know, the hospital interventions, the general anaesthetic. He definitely had some kind of PTSD, which I think most children do have from when they're constantly going through all these hospital admissions and being yes. prodded and poked and general anaesthetics. Being now part of the autism community as well, it's made me see how many children that have extremely poor motility issues with their bowels. Do you think you're conditioned to having to deal with issues and that your, your alertness is more heightened from that? Yeah, I think I'm definitely conditioned. I think we all become conditioned to a point where you realise that you have to fight for your kid whenever you need to fight for them, but you also realise that you do have to let them go off and do their own thing as well and make their own mistakes and be their own person. But yeah, definitely conditioned when it comes to talking to medical professionals. Um, like I no longer sit there and try and even explain Dexter's medical history I literally walk in with a piece of paper which has everything written down, all of his surgeries, his heart yes. surgery, everything. And I give that to him with any medications that he's on. And then I'm like, this is the problem. This is what's happened to him. What do you want me to do? Because I, there is no point in trying to explain everything. You just kind of go, right, this is, this is what's happening. What questions do you want to ask me? I'm sure that will resonate with so many parents around the world. Now, do you want to go back to about where you've talking about once you manage urine by himself? Yeah, so um, it was actually not long after this where he'd been admitted and they basically accused me of leaving my child sat in a dirty nappy. But Dexter suddenly started using the toilet. So we were at home and he just started using the toilet for weeks and I was... I'd never even in my wildest dreams had I ever even thought about potty training at two and a half. And I thought initially it was a fluke. But for two days running, he was just running around the house naked and then he would go to the toilet. I think we had like a couple of accidents, but he'd, you know, nine times out of 10 gone to the potty. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I was like, wow, you know, this, this, you know, this child who, who could barely talk at two and a half had suddenly managed to, to control his bladder. So I couldn't quite believe it, but I thought, right, well, okay, well, I'll put him in pants then. So I did that. And then the real trouble started because the realisation then that he, these bowel movements that he was having all day, every day, became really problematic because he was at daycare and he was constantly soiling his jocks and so they were taking them off and I was just saying look just bin them because you know it was so much and it was too much for them to rinse them and everything else I was like just bin them so I was buying I was spending so much money on jocks he was going to to daycare with like you know 10 pairs of jocks a day yeah it was bad I didn't want to keep him in nappies because he was not happy when he was nappies and he was showing that he wasn't happy so I didn't want to stifle the boy's confidence. So I carried on for a little while. And then the director one day said to me, she pulled me aside and she said to me, look, Burley, I, I don't know how to say this to you, but I don't think Dex has got any sensation or has any idea when he has pooed himself. And I 
wanted to hold that woman for the rest of my life because it was that moment after, you know I'd had I'd had his surgeon say to me you know he's fixed how is he fixed when he's pooing all day he's got like this is not this is not normal oh it's just toddler diarrhea he'll grow out of it god (laughs) and I remember just thinking oh my gosh what am I going to do and this woman is standing there saying look buddy you know I I really don't think he knows and it was just that one person I hadn't said anything to her about my thoughts and she was telling me exactly what I'd been thinking and that hadn't been mentioned in any of the tests the surgeon did like how how, he had the sphincter muscles or any anything like that previously no no so they hadn't done as far as I knew they hadn't done any tests um I I mean I've never even been told if it was you know I mean I understand that high IA high IA intermediate and low IA really don't mean anything in terms of you know what sort of control they may have um but I had I really had no idea so um, was, it, was he ever given a diagnosis about what type of IA he had? No, nah, I wouldn't know. I've got all I've got all his um, medical notes. I probably read it somewhere while I've been looking for something else. So you don't um, know if he had a fistula or not? I don't believe he did. But I mean, it must frustrate you when you look at all the groups and people are talking about what sort of type they have and you can That's see right, videos yeah. now which explains all the different types. Yeah, and I have no idea. None at all. And when, you know, Mark well, Mark went with Dexter to the hospital and they did a X-ray of Dexter when he was just a couple of hours old. But I think Mark was so shell-shocked. He just came back to me and said they did an x-ray and they said that they had to go in and do a colostomy. And that was all he could remember. And then because then Dexter had this massive crash and they had to intubate and it was like the colostomy bag just became a secondary thing. Like we learned how to do the colostomy bag and I was like, well, this is easy compared to all this other stuff that's going on right now. Because the hits just kept coming. Like when he came out, they were like, well, this is wrong with him now and this is wrong with him now and this is wrong with him now. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah we didn't even know if we were ever actually going to leave this hospital with a child do you feel even though it's eight years even though it's eight years now since he was born do you feel like you'd you're still looking for answers as far as the types and like his anatomical control and all that like the sphincter muscles and all that do you feel like you'd like to know or you've passed that now (laughs) You know, sometimes I sit and think, I wonder if somebody could tell me, because would that mean that, is there a possibility that he may have control? I mean, he, you know, he has the ACE, we do the flushes every 48 hours and he is clean and it's great and he's happy and we're all happy. That's the most important thing. That's it. And sometimes I think, oh, I wonder if, you know, during like the school holidays, we could stop washouts and just see. But then I also think, what would be the point of that? Because even if he could gain control, am I then opening him up to becoming impacted because he eats too much popcorn and then it all gets stuck and then he gets overflow and he starts having accidents at school so then he's going to be off school 
and then we're going to have to fill in with Movacol or, or yeah. something like that and, and put something up his bottom or even, you know, if we leave the, the ace there, then we're going to have to flush him, you know, and then he'll feel like he's going backwards. So I have those moments of, oh, yeah, if I go and find out, maybe we could do that. But then I just think, not now. When, yeah, when you weigh it all up, the, uh, the what-ifs compared to yeah. the realities, like, you know, the last thing you want him to do is have, a, have an accident at school. That just brings up all the emotional yeah. issues of being in the class and having accidents and all that. So, but it sounds like you've yeah. got a great routine. And if you've got a great routine, stick to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I know. Yeah, I mean, we do it every every second day and, um, you know, our life revolves around it. But I'd rather that, I would rather that than where we were and yeah. him soiling himself all the time, him being anxious about being in school or having to wear pull-ups at eight years old and, um, and not have any sense of independence. So what age, um, what age was the Malone first discussed? Um, so I threw a bit of a hissy fit in the hospital when he was about three and a half. And this is when she said to me, you know, he's just got toddler diarrhea. You should be grateful he's all fixed. And I said, I'm done with you. I'm going to take him to see another general surgeon privately. And she said, good luck, because you won't get anything else. And I was like, okay. So I actually went and saw a surgeon that, <laughs> that she worked with, but privately. And I told him and I said, look, at that time, I also had my I'd had my daughter by then. So she was nine months. And I said to him, you've either got to sort this problem out or you give me back the colostomy bag. I was like, because I'm done. Like, I can't live like this anymore. I said, you know, my husband's away for two weeks at a time. I've got this baby and I've got this toddler who cannot get any control. I've got this letter from his director at daycare. You know, I went through everything and I just said, he isn't fixed. This isn't fair on him. It's not fair on us. It's not fair on anyone because no one knows what they're doing and no one knows if this is normal or not. And he said, you know, he's too young. He, he's not going to have the capacity to understand what's happening to him if he has to have washouts. He said, you can get him to the point where he does understand. We'll talk about it. So I said, okay, then. So I went away and I ordered a puppet that had um, the trap trapdoor. All right, yeah. Um, and a tube. And we called it Captain Pulu. It was a pirate. So he chose it. Uh, so we had Captain Pulu. And um, we had a friend who was on one of the page, pages and called Lara and her lovely son. And he was kind enough to do a video of him having his washout. So he was sat in the toilet and he had... They had video of him having the tube put in and then sitting there playing on his iPad while it went through. Isn't that setup. wonderful? Oh, I know Lara so, from New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she used to live in Perth. We actually met Lara and Miles once yes. um, while they were still in Perth and then they obviously moved. So we were so, it was lovely meeting them. Like it was the, it was the best barbecue in my back garden I think we've ever had. Oh, isn't um, that beautiful? With the boys together. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then, yeah, so Lara had sent me that. And we would watch that video with Captain Pulu. And we had a book that we put together ourselves on how the washout worked with the bag and everything. Um, so we had all pictures 
and we went through it every day, once a day, and eventually Dexter could understand how it all worked. Yep. So then we went back to the surgeon and, I, and he asked Dexter. We'd also went and saw the stoma nurses in the hospital and Dexter explained to them how it happened and they showed him pictures and he said, this is the bag and this is this is the trait that goes in my tummy and that's where the trap door is and that's where the, the tube goes. And it was like, this kid's got it. Like, he he had it. Isn't that um, amazing? Considering, like, you were having issues with, with his yeah. speech and everything like that, but just to... To be able to grasp that yeah. at that age must have been incredible. I think because he, he's been through, he'd been through and been around so much medical stuff. I don't think it really phased him. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so then we went back to the surgeon. We were like, "Here you go." So Dexter ran through how a washed out would happen, and um, he said, "Okay, we'll do it." So Dexter went and had his ACE put in. I think it was a week before he turned four. Wow. Yeah, and um, we got let out the next day and then we went back in and they did the first flush and they put through one litre of saline and it was, I think it was 1,800 mils came out. So he was just full of, they just could not believe how much stuff was coming out of him. They were just like, this is, cool. how has he been walking around with all this, all this poo in him? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Had anyone ever suggested the rectal enemas or he just wouldn't have been able to tolerate them? I don't think he would have been able to tolerate them. Um, but do you know what? He changed. Uh, so Mark was home for that surgery, <clears throat> my husband, and then he went away and we were doing the washouts every day at that point. And I spoke to Mark and I said, when you come home, be ready to meet your new son. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, his behaviour is so much better. Really? It was like having all the toxins that must have been building up in his body where he was so full of waste, his behaviour completely changed. Yeah, it was it was amazing um, to see the change in him. Okay, amazing. And then his language quickly started to build. We were, I mean, like we were right on the cusp of seeing, or we were on a wait list at the time for speech pathology, but his, his speech increased. He became less aggressive. You know, he was having less, fewer meltdowns. I mean, there was still a lot, but um, he was definitely having fewer meltdowns. And, you know, he was he was doing all right. He was doing better. And he, he was just a different kid, like a happier kid. So it made a big difference to his behaviour, which then obviously had a huge impact on our lives as well, being able to actually go out with him in public and, you know, do family things together without this real worry of if he's going to, you know, he's either going to have an accident and sometimes he would have an accident and it would just be down his legs. There was just, you know, there was no getting away from it. It wasn't just like a little bit of poo. He would have an accident and it would just be water. Hmm. He wouldn't know that that was not, not normal either. He no. would, that, that's all he ever knew. Yeah, exactly. That's all he ever knew was that, you know, doing a poo in his jocks was, was what happened. And sometimes it would stay in there and sometimes it wouldn't. So it gave us all a huge amount of freedom and confidence as a family to just even enjoy the things that other families take for granted. That's so wonderful for you to share that. And I'm sure so many parents who are listening to this right now be able to relate to maybe that the child around that early toddler stage is having issues, behavioural issues, etc. 
I think the rule of thumb is not to malign before sort of like five years old, but it just goes to That's show right. that, you know, if yeah, if I mean Jeff we were using you know, we were on the Movacol, we were using Osmolax. We could just never ever get him to be it. We we tried doing you know toilet timing. We saw continence nurses. Uh, we were doing toilet timing, so like you know have breakfast twenty minutes late, they're sitting on the toilet. Have lunch twenty minutes late, they're sitting on the toilet. Have dinner. 20, it didn't work like it just it's not going to work for these children um sometimes their needs are far beyond toilet timing and yeah for us I mean this is you know I remember saying to to our surgeon you know this has saved us as a family you know it did it just saved us as a family we couldn't do anything until we had that ace and now it's like well we don't apart from just remembering we have to do it every two days it's fine yeah and totally fine the the stress and toll it has takes on parents and relationships and everything is unless you live yeah. it people don't understand do they unless you've been through that no no it, i mean you know, <clears throat> me and mark we've been uh been together nearly 15 years now like i say we came here on our own to australia together and, you know, two kids later and everything we've been through with Dexter. And Dexter's constantly surprising us, you know, like we think everything's going to be all right. And then boom, he needs emergency open heart surgery. Uh, we think he's all right. And then boom, he has autism. Oh, he's got ADHD. You know, like it's it just kind of just we keep rolling with it with Dexter. It's just like mm-hmm. a he's a one man band of, you know, quirkiness and cuteness and surprises yeah. all, all in one. So never bored. tell us about when he had the uh, emergency <laughs> open heart surgery. At what age was that? That was a four and a half. So was that after you had the Malone surgery? Yeah. So we were told that this small VSD that he had in utero was going to be insignificant at birth. So what is VSD for us? It's a small hole in the heart. So it's a ventricular septal defect. Right. And it was small. And they said it will be insignificant at birth. But then because Dexter suffered from this persistent pulmonary hypertension where the blood wasn't circulating correctly, it kept that hole open. Now, they said it's very unlikely that that will ever, ever need to be surgically repaired. The heart will eventually grow a flap of skin over it and it will be fine. Because of Dexter's persistent pulmonary hypertension, he also had a PDA, which is called a patent ductus artresia, which is the vent that when you're first born, you, you cry, that vent starts to close and then you're blood circulates as a human because when you're in the womb it doesn't have to circulate everywhere because you don't need your lungs when you're in the womb yeah so it's not until you're born that that closes and then that's where the blood starts circulating and that's what didn't happen for Dexter so now he had two holes in his heart and they always said don't worry it will be fine it's very unlikely he'll ever need open heart surgery we're like great so we never really got in contact with heart kids we were like this is the less issue of everything else we've got going on and every year he needed to have um, an echocardiogram so because he was so volatile in hospital they would always try and do the echo while he was having a surgery so he would not even know it was happening and then they would ring us up and say all good see you in a year like right great he had his um, ace done and they couldn't do the scan so I'd spoken to Dexter and I'd said, look, mate, you're going to have to go and have this scan 
this is what happens. I showed him some videos. It's like, it doesn't hurt or anything. They just have to put these little diodes on your body and they do the scan and that's it. It's got some jelly. And he was like, okay, mom, I can do this. I can be brave. I can do it. And it, honestly, I was so proud of him. Bless him. So here I am. It was just like, oh, you know, he's going to do it. And he's not going to freak out. So we were in the hospital. We had a little milkshake beforehand. I put it on Facebook, how proud I am. And he had it done and we're through looking we're sort of sitting there with the cardiologist and I'm chatting away to him and suddenly I'm thinking this conversation is not going the same way it usually does oh really and he's talking to me about Z scores and and he's talking to me about you know heart is enlarged and that flap of skin doesn't seem to be holding anymore and he said we need to go in and close. And I was like, okay, but you can do that in the cath lab, right? They're small enough. You can just do that in the cath lab. And he just looked at me and shook his head and just put his, just kind of made the line down the chest that he was going to have to have open heart. And I just said, there was a, a student doctor in the office. I said, can you just take Dexter outside for me, please? And I just let rip. And I just said to the cardiologist, I said, you told me, you told me that I that he would never ever have to have open heart surgery. He said no. I said it would be unlikely. And I was like, he's just oh. had this surgery done. I was like, I've got a fourteen month old who's never been with anyone but me, and now you tell me I've got he's got to have open heart surgery. And he was like, look, I think it will be like twelve weeks. You'll have plenty of time to plan. I was like, okay. So I left. I rang up Mark, who was away. I said, look, he's got to have open heart. They have to show the scan to the cardio, the, the surgeon, um, the cardiothoracic surgeon. He'll make the final call, but Darshan doesn't think it'll be, yeah, it'll be like 12 weeks. So Mark decided to come home and we waited for the phone call. And the phone call was Dexter's very close to having a heart attack. Um, his heart is so enlarged. We need him in here in three weeks' time for open heart surgery. Oh, unbelievable. And I just was, uh, I just, well, I just fell apart. Um, I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I was just a mess. And, you know, we've got no family. So we had to do that on our own, which was really hard. Um, I couldn't even imagine. Um, oh, we got in contact with heart kids at that point. I felt so sorry for them because they literally just got it both barrels. I just walked into their office one day and just like verbally vomited everything to this woman. And she just looked at me and she went, don't worry, we'll look after you. And I was just like, oh, someone's going to look after us. (laughs) Wow, this is amazing. And they did, you know, the day that Dexter had surgery, we had to go through a lot of tests. And it turned out that Dexter is a carrier of MRSA. What's that? Um, So MRSA is a mega bug. It's an antibiotic resistant bug that it turns up in hospitals and it can kill people. And he's there. Does it never end for this little fella? I know. Does it never end? So they said he's an MRSA carrier, which means that forever now, until he gets cleared of it, he will always be last on the list for surgery. Why is that? Because he carries MRSA. So because it's like antibiotic resistant, it's really hard to kill. Um, and he he would have picked it up in NICU. He got an eye infection in the eye, NICU when he was a baby. And that's how he got MRSA. What they do is they put them on the end of the surgical list because they then have to have a longer gap between when they can use that operating theatre again and they have to do further cleaning 
like when we go into hospital now, they all have they have to gown up to come in and see Dexter. Um, and they have to follow extra protocols to see Dexter because he's an MRSA carrier. Dear me. And I'd imagine in the COVID environment, how does that does it would it give you extra worries? <laughs> I'd imagine. <laughs> And I'm very glad that we haven't actually had to go to hospital through COVID while he has, while he's still an MRSA carrier. I mean, yes, we can get him tested to be cleared of it, but I don't really want him to have swabs done up his nose and down his throat. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay? That's just, that's too confronting for him. So when he was diagnosed with autism and ADHD when he was seven, yeah, we started some sort of therapy. Can you go through what you did there? Yeah, so... We always knew Dexter, you know, he's always said he was a bit quirky, but we put that down to everything that he'd been through and it, we managed his behaviours because he was our first. We didn't know any different and we didn't have nieces and nephews around us to kind of understand what was normal, what wasn't quite normal. And he was at school and he was in year one and his teacher said to me, I want you to take him to see an occupational therapist. He doesn't play the same way other children do and he has a few problems and there's a few challenges going on I just want you to go and see her and I was like yeah sure no worries so I went and saw this OT um, Anna had meeting with her on my own before and I'd been through all of his medical history and I'd taken all of his I've got a binder for Dexter and I took that with me and um, she said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna meet this kid and see what's going on and um, I said to her, don't beat around the bush with me. I can take, I can take pretty much anything you ever have to say to me and I'll, I'll deal with it, whatever, whatever comes up. And she did an assessment on Dexter and she said, I think he's autistic and I think he has ADHD. And I was like, okay, so what bit do I need to deal with first? And she's like, you need to get him assessed for autism. Um, she said, in the meantime, I'm going to book him in to see him every week. And she said, then we'll go from there once you've had the assessment done. Um, and any Australian parent will tell you trying to get your child assessed for autism is an absolute minefield. On the public list at the moment, if you want to get assessed for autism, you are looking at anything from one to two years wait to see the paediatrician, the clinical psych and the speech pathologist for all three of those people to agree that your child is autistic. I had no and idea. that's through public. We had to, well, we made the decision to go privately through the Autism Association WA and they basically do it all in one day, which is a lot for a child. So you go and see the clinical psych, spends time with them, then the speech pathologist and the paediatrician and it's a full day. You're there from like nine to five and it's at a pretty hefty cost. It's like two and a half thousand dollars. And you could, they could turn around and say, no, they're not autistic. Oh, God. So yeah, it's, it's a big gamble. So we waited and waited and waited and we went and had this assessment done. And then two weeks later, they called me back in and I thought they were going to turn around and say, he's not autistic. Like he's just, you know, he's just got PTSD or, you know, he's just highly anxious. And with, every, so with good reason in. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just walked in, I said, just rip off the band-aid. Just tell me that he's, that, you know, that it's just PTSD. And she went, oh no, 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 he's autistic. And I was like, Oh, so then I cried. So you were, so um, did you in your own mind just thought it was because of everything he'd been through? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't know a lot about autistic children. Um, I think a lot of us think that autistic children 
um, mostly non-verbal or do struggle extremely like are very very have big struggles being verbal and communicating verbally um, and Dexter has got a great vocabulary now but to actually have a conversation with Dexter is extremely difficult he is only just starting with asking questions back and forth conversation can still be a bit tricky but before I mean yeah you couldn't have a conversation with Dexter <laughs> Oh, really? He wouldn't, you know, if he said, if he said, hi, Dexter, how are you? He would either not answer or he might go fine and then he'd run off. He wouldn't say, I'm, I'm good, how are you? He would never say, how was your day? He wouldn't ask you what your favourite colour was. Um, he wouldn't ask you, do you like that cake? Like, he just didn't. He just didn't care. We just thought he just doesn't care, you know? He's just in his own little world and he's fine. But, you know, he was having meltdowns and he did line up toys and he was very OCD about certain things but you know I was like well it just makes him feel comfortable we did notice that he didn't get invited to parties and he didn't have a lot of friends um but he was still happy like he wasn't unhappy and he didn't seem to notice that he didn't have any friends so when she then went through the report it became quite clear that it was a bigger problem than what we thought she said to us he's very literal so she said to us the danger for Dexter would be if he was at the park and someone said to him I've got the brand new PS5 would you like to come play it Dexter would go yeah because in his head oh it's a PS5 I'd love to play the new PS5 this person's got a PS5 I'll go and play it not this person's a stranger this probably isn't a good idea I need to run and get help He's just very literal and he takes yeah. everything that's there. So she was like, you know, this is, this is the danger you're going to have with him is because he is very literal. He follows the rules to a T, but he also knows if an adult says to him, can you come and do this? He will probably go and do it. And we were like, okay. So we went back to the OT and we said, right, this is the problem. <clears throat> and she went through the report and she said, right, okay. He needs to see a speech pathologist, a psych, OT. And she said, I want you to go and see a rheumatologist because I think he's got something wrong with his joints. And we were like, okay. So we went and saw a rheumatologist. We didn't want to wait through the public system. So we went and saw the top rheumatologist privately. I gave him the file of Dexter and he said to me, has he ever had a brain MRI? I went, no. And he was like, he needs some brain MRI and this was in COVID right? so I'm like all right and he examined Dexter and he said to me Dexter's got something called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome hypermobility and I was like right now let's and he said Ehlers E-L-E-R-S-D-A-N-L-O-S yes the only reason I the only reason I wanted to emphasize that name is because over in Melbourne here, I've got a, a friend, a young, young lady, 22 years old, who has IA, and she's been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos. So I'm yeah. sort of like a bit more familiar with it now, and it's a, yeah. very debilitating. So Dr. Murray said to us that he believes that a lot of Vactel children, the L, the limb, is related to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because it's, Basically, there isn't, um, it is related to the joints. In Um, they don't. You don't produce enough collagen. 
I mean, Dexter's arms, his, he is so bendy. It is ridiculous. And he said to us, you know, Dexter's definitely on like a high scale. It's really bad. It's not good. He needs strengthening. He needs physio. He needs good orthotics in his, in his shoes. His feet had completely collapsed. And he said, you know, the best thing you can do is get this kid strong before he hits 18, because by the time he hits 18, he'll be at his peak, and then it's all downhill from there. So if he's not strong by then, oh, God. then that's when you'll have the problems. And then he also gave us this form for the MRI on our way out. So we went back to the OT. She sorted us out with the physiotherapist, and he was then having weekly speech, weekly OT, weekly physio, and then we started gymnastics every week too. To strengthen um, the bones and to strengthen, yeah, to, to basically start getting the muscles really working muscles. to strengthen the joints, start holding the joints in place. I mean, Dexter, when he started 18 months ago, could barely hold on to the hoops. But now he can swing his whole body pretty much and hold himself in a pencil with the feet facing the ceiling. Wow, um, what a start. Yeah. And that's happened in 18 months. He's getting stronger and stronger. And his physio has been amazing. Like this is a child that couldn't even do the monkey bars and he can now do the monkey bars. So having all the therapists working together and, you know, really focusing on the things that Dexter needs has made a really big difference to him. Have you seen a difference in his confidence and how he yeah. reacts? Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, it's only been 18 months since he was diagnosed. Last year when he was doing a cross-country run at school, he came out onto the oval with ear defenders on and his teacher was holding his hand and he was shaking. And that's the first time I'd looked at Dexter and thought, you're really disabled. You know, he just looked disabled. Right. He just was petrified and, you know, the ear defenders and... And it was horrible. It was horrible to watch him. And parents were looking at me like, because, you know, I had really divulged any of this information to people. Yes. And so, you know, that was sad to see. And then this year, like he did cross country two weeks ago. He came running onto the oval, gave me a massive high five. He was standing on the start line with his arm around his mate. I mean, like he just, he and he ran. You must have had some tears of a different sort there. Yeah. And it was just like, far out. Like this is this is amazing. And yeah, he just he just did it. And he was, you know, I mean, I Dexter doesn't say a lot about what happens during school. And if you ask him a question, he doesn't he can't give me an answer most of the time. So, you know, I'd be checking out with his physio and saying, you know, how's he going? And and he was like, I reckon he's gonna surprise himself when he does the cross country. I mean, you know, he came in like he was like 18th out of 25th, but he was like the last sausage in the shop, like limping across the line for so many years. And this time, you know, he ran the he ran the whole, you know, 1K run. He did the full thing running, that's which is wonderful. amazing for a kid that's had open heart surgery, has Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you know, has all these issues. And he just was like, I'm going to do it. And he did it. Oh, what a star. I know. The star. Now, tell me about a recent fundraiser you did for the Heart Kids. Yeah. So, um, like I said, we we kind of got involved with Heart Kids once Dexter had his open heart surgery, and since his open heart surgery, and since all of the support that we've had with them, that we wanted to give back. So when 
my husband did uh, a marathon for them a couple of years ago and raised five thousand dollars for heart kids and then this year they said we're looking for some children who want to climb the Matagara bridge in Perth so it's a big brand new bridge and it's 74 meters above the river and it's got like 341 steps and it's pretty high up and it's got a glass canopy at the top and I said to Dexter hey what do you what do you think about this and he was like yeah I'll do that and I was like oh. so um I rang the back and I said oh Dexter wants to do it and they were like oh you could do it with him and I don't like heights and I was like oh okay so um the pledge we just pledged that we would we were told we had to pledge to raise $500 each so I said to Dexter right okay we need to raise a thousand dollars do you think we can do it and he was like yeah we can do it so we set up his little Facebook page and we started, you know, putting stories up about Dexter and, you know, the stuff that he's, over, that he's overcome and the challenges that he's faced. And he's raised near, I think we're about 2000 nearly $2,300 at the moment. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And it's yeah. a credit to you being able to share his story with others so they can understand what this phenomenal child's been through and that's what he is he's absolutely phenomenal he is like he um and like you know I know I know that all mums are biased about their kids and like yeah my kid's incredible but he actually is incredible I mean the last 18 months has been I mean it's just been the stuff of nightmares really just getting trying to like manage all these therapies and you know, he then, when he got, he also got diagnosed with ADHD, so then he started medication and managing all of that and trying to explain to Dexter that, you know, okay, you're autistic, but what that actually means is that your brain works differently. Mm. It's not something that's going to hold you back if you don't let it. And that's what we always say to Dexter, you know, you've got to remember, mate, you've got your legs, you've got your arms, you can talk, you can breathe, you can feed yourself, you can say what you want. You just need to learn how to do it especially with the saying what he needs and all that sort of thing. So Um, schooling. Yeah. So we initially were looking at private schools for Dexter and then we couldn't find one that I thought was going to work for him. So we put him into a small public school mainstream and they've been incredible. He, when he got diagnosed initially, they gave him two days of funding from the education department so he has a, an assistant within two days a week and then once Dr Murray told us he had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome he managed to get Dexter to tell him Dexter said that when he writes the pain that he experiences in his arm and up his arm lasts all day and it gets progressively worse during the week where he's been made to write and Dr Murray said he shouldn't be writing he hasn't got like his fingers he said you know you look at his fingers he said they're like a baby's fingers they're that soft the joints there aren't any joints that have made that have got any strength um and he was like and exercises aren't going to help those fingers he just shouldn't be writing so he wrote this report I went back up the school and I said you know this is the problem we've got this problem now do you want us to fund a laptop we'll find the money you know, what's it going to cost us to get funding to for someone to help him type? And they said, no, 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 we'll see if we can get the education department to do it. So they used um, some pretty persuasive wording. And now Dexter has a laptop funded by the education department. And the agreement is that Dexter only writes, handwrites three work, three sentences, and then everything else is done on his laptop. Oh, great. How's he yeah. adjusted to that? He's adjusted really, really well. Um, 
yeah, he's doing really, really well at school. I mean, he's been diagnosed with having an issue with his uh, working memory. So he, the part of his brain that has to reach in and get information and pull it out isn't working properly. So he can read, but he can't spell. He's very good with maths and science, but he can't understand punctua punctuation. But he could read a whole page of text in one go and tell you exactly what it says, but he wouldn't stop for breath. Oh, it's really incredible. It's really incredible. It's really interesting to like hear him read a page and you think, oh, I could barely pick out like, you know, five things out of that that make sense. But he can, he makes sense of it all and then he just regurgitates it. But he can't spell. He's on like the, the, the bottom range that the pediatrician said to us, you know, his, his spelling is really bad, but the kid can read. So I'll just chat along. It's incredible how much he has to deal with and to, to hear that he's going so well at the moment, like really yeah. an unbelievable credit to you and Mark. Like, it's just amazing to hear this story and what you guys have gone through and, you know, the love and attention and care that you've been able to provide Dexter. It's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, we feel very lucky that we have him. Um, he's a lovely, lovely little boy. And, you know, he doesn't, he definitely doesn't take anything for granted, but he also doesn't, doesn't play the victim either. And he's doing so well. I mean, he's got lovely friends, uh, gets invited to parties, gets invited to play. Oh, day. that's wonderful. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a, he's an inspiration to lots of people that meet him. And um, we're very, very proud of him. Very proud well of him. I can assure you he's going to inspire so many children around the world after our podcast gets launched and people just hear this story. It, it's just, you know, it's really touched me. So, Verley, thank you so much for sharing such an amazing journey that you've had with Dexter. It's, I'm sure it, it's going to make so much difference to people who hear this and not just kids with IA, but kids with autism and ADHD as well, and ones dealing with heart issues. Yeah. It's just it. You you said your you didn't know where your story fitted in in the rare and resilient book. Well, I tell you what, it would have fitted yeah. in as the first story of the book because of what you've been through. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I hope I do hope parents that you know if any parents read it and or listen to listen to the story and they and they want to reach out, then they can. Um, that's yeah. so wonderful of you. And I'll definitely be, well, that's one of the things that's happened already. I've been able to connect parents who've read stories about the ones that have been, been on already and just to yeah. talk to them. So thanks yeah. so much, Verley. Thanks, Greg. It's been wonderful. Bye-bye. See ya.